What's up, everybody? This is FTW with Ahmad Khan. I'm your host, Ahmad Khan, and joining me today on this Saudi-funded development edition is freelance LEC reporter Tom Thiessen. Hi. And later on, we'll have editor-in-chief of the Esports Bar Association Journal, Michael Aaron. But first, Neon. Earlier this week, it was announced that the League of Legends European Championship Series, or LEC, had signed a deal with Neon, a Saudi-funded city development project. Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman is aiming for Neom to be a major tourist attraction in the future as the country continues to diversify its assets. But as soon as rumors of the deal began to percolate, fans, casters, and players online were quick to criticize the deal. Given Saudi Arabia's track record on human rights abuses, discrimination, and violence towards members of the LGBTQ community, the ongoing war and humanitarian disaster in Yemen, plus the killing of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi, people expected more of Riot Games. Within 24 hours, Wright reversed the decision and will not be partnering with Neon, and will likely have to find another partner in the Middle East region. So Tom, what does this Neon fiasco mean for the LEC in the Middle East region moving forward? So I think it's important to put this into perspective that I think in the long run, this will probably not be as you know deleterious to the relationship. Riot has hosted events in Saudi Arabia in the past. Obviously, it does weigh in that this is a that Neom is a pet project of the Saudi Arabian Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman himself. Um, we just really don't know what went down behind the scenes. First of all, forming this partnership, and second, when it was taken down, it's just very, it's it's not known to the public what has gone down with Riot and with these negotiations. But yeah, I I cannot imagine Neom being very happy with this partnership being cancelled so rapidly. And yeah, Saudi Arabia does have a fund that invests in multiple companies to help diversify its portfolio, including companies like Uber. And in the past, when Uber has been questioned about these instances, including the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, Uber has been very kind of hands off saying that they they half condemn you know what happened, but still are very appreciative of the uh, of the Saudi dollars flowing into the company. I was surprised by how quickly Riot was able to about face on this. Yeah, that is something that many people were surprised about as well. Um, positively surprised, I, I have to say, you know, obviously this deal going through in the first place is a big red flag. And I do hope, as many people do, that there will be systemic changes within at least the LEC partnership. I do hope that there will be some reforms within the LEC's partnership department that these deals in the future will not be allowed to go through. And they they really thought they would get away with it. But you have to acknowledge the fact that they were so quick to respond. And it is a bit weird, right? That on one hand, the the LEC promoted this partnership on their Twitter with still the LGBT flag in their logo, in their Twitter profile, and promoting a deal with a country that is so notorious for violating the rights of those very people. In a statement, writes Albert Guerrero said... As a company and as a league, we know that it's important to recognize when we have made a mistake and quickly work to correct them. After further reflection, while we remain steadfastly steadfastly committed to all of our players and fans worldwide, including those living in Saudi Arabia and the Middle East, the LEC has ended its partnership with Neon effective immediately. So in this statement, they're acknowledging that, you know, this was a mistake, going so far as to say it was a mistake. Then that, you know, kind of has me wondering, because also on Friday, League of Legends announced that it would be hosting its worlds in Shanghai. And given pretty much everything that's happening within China, because China, too, is not innocent of human rights violations, most notably with what's happening with the Uyghur minority in the Western province of Xinjiang, 
Yes. Why is it that Riot is so quick to about face on Saudi, but where is the outcry in regards to China? Well, it's going to be very difficult for Riot to ignore China. They are owned by Tencent, after all. That's a multi-billion dollar conglomerate based in China. So Riot Games is fully owned by a Chinese company, and it's going to be very difficult for them to just say, you know, we're going to cancel our events in China. Uh, Also, China is a very big market for League of Legends, so I don't see that happening anytime soon. Obviously, at least uh, with the Western faces of the company, that is quite hypocritical and people are very right to condemn and question and call Riot out for, for these partnerships continuing and for these events continuing. And that is something that was a commonly heard criticism at the time of this announcement as well, that people were saying, okay, you have canceled this partnership, but you are still also partnered with Nestle, who are a very shady company, at least in their business, what they do selling bottled water and stuff like that. They partner with KitKat, who, you know, they cut down rainforests in order to provide palm oil for their product. And that those are all things that, people called Riot out for and I think it's definitely fair to some degree where do you draw the line and that is a very difficult decision to make it's a very large gray area and it's all different shades of gray but I think the problem with the Neon partnership was the fact that it was so in your face wrong going on this is literally Saudi Arabia giving the LC money when they are building a mega city on the grounds of a tribe that's being evicted forcefully and in a country where LGBT rights are so, you know, grotesquely violated. Right. But that's not to say that Tencent isn't this independent company within China. Clearly, Tencent has very strong ties to the CCP and is likely getting some kind of funding from the Chinese Communist Party or the Chinese yes. government in general. Yes, Tencent is on very good terms with uh, with the Chinese government, yes. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying in the fact that like Niam is very directly funded by the Saudi government. Like It's literally a pet project of Mohammed bin Salman. But because there may be this like, you know, very opaque screen in front of Tencent, does that then make it so that the League of Legends community can ignore what's happening in China? No, and they are not really ignoring it. I think it's more that that's something they've learned to live with and something they've accepted. They just cannot do anything about the company that makes their game is owned by a Chinese conglomerate who has very good relationships with the Chinese government itself. And that, that is something they cannot change, but where they will speak up. And that in, a, in and of itself, I think is a good thing that at least, you know, when, when they see that a line is being crossed, uh, a new line is being crossed, that they speak up so massively and that they do not quietly accept this. But there definitely is something to say, you know, what, what is the, the line you draw for yourself? And I think that's something that everybody's faced with every day. Like you said, first, you know, Uber is also getting money from Saudi Arabia. Facebook is getting money from Saudi Arabia. Should we stop using those services then as well? And that is a very ethical question. But I think the grim reality is and something that is very tough maybe to realize or for maybe people have actively realized it and decided to live with it is that in the end in this world it seems that money just talks and you cannot avoid having products delivered without any of these shady ties it's very rare that this happens all these major companies are 
in a way connected to slave labor or any other human rights violations or they violate nature and that that is so so difficult to avoid that and you see that in the league of legends community as well Assuming the Neom deal had gone through and let's say G2 or Rogue, these LEC teams essentially boycotted these events, what would their punishments have been? I think that's very difficult to say. Um, We know at least that these LEC teams were kind of informed about this deal as reported by ESPN. There was a meeting and business representatives of these LEC teams were present and there was on one slideshow apparently a brief mention on the Neom partnership. But other than that, teams weren't really involved and informed about it. So we don't know what the punishment would have been. We do know that the casting talent, the on-air talent, went to Riot and said, listen, as long as this partnership is up, we are not casting the LEC. Which is obviously a very bold statement. They're literally putting their jobs on the line. And very commendable of them that they did that. Yeah, it's so difficult to say what the punishment would have been for these teams. We know at least one team owner, Carlos, the owner of G2, he spoke out publicly on Twitter and he said, um, we will not ever be part of a direct relationship with anybody committing genocide or anything of the sort. So what the punishment would have been for these teams? Well, they could have just gotten fines for not showing up during the matches. That is something that happens. Teams have a fine for when they turn up too late for an event but in the long term what this partnership would have done i think that's very difficult to say these teams have are still in a three-year partnership when they bought into league of legends european championship so what the specifics are of that deal and what the specifics are when these teams decide to step out uh, because of a partnership like this it's very difficult to say but riot games generally is pretty severe with their punishment. So I think maybe these teams could have received a pretty big fine. And then I guess the last question, I mean, how do you think history will look at these nascent times of esports in which these companies are choosing to go to these countries that are having these, you know, grave human rights violations in the same way that history has not been kind to the United States or France or Spain or all the other countries that competed in the 1932 Summer Olympics in Nazi Germany? The important thing is to know that there is another esports organization that is partnering with Neom currently. It's Blast. They host mainly CSGO events and people are criticizing them because they have not yet actively spoken out against their partnership. They have not withdrawn it and that partnership even goes further as in Blast is actively with the partnership helping develop Neom. So that's even a worse case than the LEC. Now, I do think that This is definitely a black page in the history books of the LEC and this will take a lot of time to be rebuilt. And I think it's up to Riot to choose their future partners very carefully, but also commit even more to sending out that message that what they stand for is not in line with what the Saudi Arabian government practices when it comes to human rights. When when I look at it, it all seems a bit like a facade because in the end, I think many corporations, Riot Games included, are mainly after one thing and that's making money and they just test the limits of how how the, how far they can bend the borders and how far into the gray area they can get before they cross the line, basically. So how this will look in the history books and how people will look on Riot Games, I think definitely people will still remember this. This was such a big event and so many people spoke out against this. This will not be forgotten. But since this is an incident and since the LEC is so beloved by many, it's 
This is the most beloved League of Legends competition in the world. Praised for its production, praised for its tone and definitely something the fans deeply care about. So while this is a wound that will need healing, I definitely think that Riot Games now will take the steps to carefully make sure that people will at least quote-unquote forgive it as in not have it be an active part of the discussion and you already see that kind of people have mostly forgotten about it as people do you know they are outraged when it matters and then when it gets solved or, or it gets addressed then they quiet down we saw it with blizzard with the whole hong kong and blitzchung affair people were up in arms for weeks until blizzard decided to soften the punishment and partially reverse what the the punishment they issued to Blitzchung and now everybody is happily playing Hearthstone again so that is something that will just need time but I am confident that Riot Games will heal from this. Well then let me cross apply that same question about all the countries that participated in the 1932 Summer Olympics in Nazi Germany and then with esports continuing to have this event or having worlds in Shanghai in the midst of genocide in western china i mean would is this going to be that black page for esports no that won't be part of it is that what happens in china unfortunately for many fans in the west for many people in the west is a bit of a distant thing also it's not being covered a lot in the news at the moment so few fewer people are aware of it and I think those two factors mainly combine into people just being accepting of the fact that this is happening happening in China. As I said earlier, people know that this is that Riot Games is owned by China and that is something they have come to learn to live with and I do hope, I honestly I do hope that people get up in arms about it because obviously what what happening in China is horrible and should be addressed and it should not happen. But People here will not have as much influence as they had on the Neom deal because Riot Games is simply owned by a Chinese conglomerate. Why are then why are fans so willing to acquiesce to Chinese malfeasance, which is you know let's say fifteen thousand miles away from anything happening in the U.S., but not so much to Saudi Arabia, which is I don't know thirteen thousand miles away happening from the U.S. Right? I mean, isn't aren't we playing semantics here? Like, what what is the reason? why there's up in arms for Saudi, but not for China. Well, I think China does uh, at least a much better job at getting away with things in general. It's in all the pro- many products we use. And I think in general, when, when we look at people, like do people still get up in arms about their iPhones and their, their Samsung products or whatever it is being made in these horrible working conditions? No, they don't. There are groups rightfully fighting for this. And when you ask people about it, they will definitely condemn condemn it but this is just something that unfortunately people have come to learn to live with and this Saudi Arabian thing is very new in esports this is a new line being crossed China has been in esports for a long time and people as with products that are being made in China they they just have accepted it I think this is true in every layer of society not just in esports people know what's happening in china and it's horrible but it's almost inevitable that he used these chinese products and that china is involved with this and saudi arabia however is new to esports this is very new mohammed bin salman wants to make saudi arabia some sort of seemingly progressive nation that's futuristic and is you know hanging out with the cool kids in in that sense But fact of the matter is, and I think, again, this is true in every layer of society, that people have 
kind of come to accept that you cannot evade China at this moment. And that is sad. It's tragic. And I wish it were different. But there's no way around China. And even less so for Riot Games because they are owned by Tencent. Well, let's see if the hand-wringing around China metastasizes into some sort of action. I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. With that, Tom, thank you so much for jumping on. Thank you very much for having me. And now we're joined by Michael Aaron, Editor-in-Chief of the Esports Bar Association Journal. Hi, pleasure to be here. Earlier this week, the heads of Facebook, Amazon, Google, and Apple virtually came together to address Congress in an antitrust hearing. Accusations were logged from congresspersons about the predatory practices being used by said companies. Of course, all these companies have some hand in the esports business, from Facebook Gaming, Twitch, YouTube Gaming, and to a lesser extent, the Apple App Store and Apple Arcade. So, Michael, just for listeners that are kind of maybe wrapping their brains around this for the first time, uh, what what's the purpose of these antitrust hearings, and where does this history come from? So, uh, that's, a, that's a great question, actually, because the antitrust laws can be fairly complex and are pretty difficult to understand. But, in essence, antitrust laws just seek to promote competition in the United States markets. And this comes in the form of three main ways of regulation. Section 1 of the Sherman Act prohibits every contract, combination, or conspiracy and restraint of trade. And courts have interpreted this to prohibit unreasonable restraints on trade. So when you think about the classic cases of price fixing, that is one person telling a competitor to have the same price, that's exactly what we're getting at with a contract combination conspiracy and restraint of trade. Section 2 looks at monopolization. So these are the big oil barons, railroad barons, and now, today, uh, potentially the tech and information barons. And they say that while possession of a lot of market power might not be bad, and in fact that is something that we heard repeated frequently during the hearings, is that big is not bad. But when it is coupled with anti-competitive conduct, such as predatory pricing and the like, then uh, we began to question that maintenance of monopoly power. And then finally, a big question is mergers and acquisitions. And the antitrust law seeks to prevent those mergers and acquisitions that would lessen competition and increase concentration in a market. And so these hearings looked at the, the four businesses that you discussed, and the four CEOs were essentially there to answer any and all questions about the accusations against them and their four companies. Congress is just trying to determine, are the antitrust laws that we have today, that were created over a hundred years ago, still adequate to protect consumers and their choice over getting the best products for the best price today, when new harms are present and new ways of achieving monopoly are being discovered by these companies? Mm. You know, when listening to these hearings, the thing that kind of struck out at me were some of the practices that these companies were doing. For example... Amazon would get into negotiations to buy a company, then be able to look at its underlying technology, steal that technology, and then integrate into its own platform and then never actually buy the company. Or Facebook and Google would essentially strong arm companies and say, either you let us buy you for a good price or we'll just copy your technology and run you out of the business. Does this sound to you as, you know, things that could be cross applied to those antitrust laws that were written 100 years ago? It depends. This is something what is discussed today as platform capture. Essentially, the operator of the platform, and let's take Amazon as an example because it's a very easy example to understand. Amazon operates as the operator for its market. So if you want to sell on Amazon Marketplace, you have to agree to its terms and conditions and the like. 
So if I'm an independent seller of, let's say, batteries, and I want to sell a product, I have to agree to certain rules imposed by Amazon. Now the problem is that, let's say we get into a niche category where there's maybe one or two sellers of the product. Amazon, on their end, as the operator of this marketplace, gets data on essentially these, these let's say, battery sellers. And they're able, using their rules, to determine how they price uh, these batteries, how they sell them, in what quantities, at what time, when are sales being made. And then what Amazon does is actually come out with its own product. Let's say the Amazon brand, its private label, private label batteries to compete with that person that was selling on their platform. Using their platform power, they make sure that their competitors are actually delisted or not promoted in a way to ensure that people buy Amazon's product over a third party's product. And so platform capture is not new. It is something that has happened for years, but the information age really complicated this because you have companies like Apple and like Amazon who essentially serve as gatekeepers to a market. And that's the real concern that we have is that these gatekeepers are restricting competition on the very platforms that they compete in. Yeah, yeah. so in essence, what you're saying is that these platforms, their own micro economies in which they have total control and then can strong arm any minor threat with precision and ease. Exactly. And that's one of the big concerns. And how they do it really takes uh, a couple of different forms. We mentioned the Amazon example of simply selling a competing product on the Amazon marketplace and driving the other person out of business. Or in the case of Facebook and the acquisition of Instagram or WhatsApp, simply telling the owner of Instagram, for instance, that we are going to compete with you. And if you don't want to be run into the ground using Facebook's data using Facebook's market power, just sell to us and we're going to acquire you and we're going to prevent competition through acquisition. Mm. Well, then let's try to circle this back into eSports. So all of these companies have some kind of influence in this space, whether you have Amazon and Twitch, Facebook and Facebook Gaming, Google with YouTube Gaming, and I guess Apple with its App Store. And you can argue that you know many of the top mobile esports exist on its uh, app platform. And if the company continues to do its Apple Arcade, it might develop a competitive title at some point. So if these companies were to be broken up, I mean, what would that mean for its respective esports plans? So I think you need to address each of these companies in turn. Let's also first say that whether or not a company will be broken up is actually uh, a good question. Many of the Congress people during the hearings raised ways of addressing the antitrust problem. Why hasn't the antitrust law been able to cope with these big information tech giants? Some say that it's just a matter of enforcement and that more cases need to be brought against tech giants like Amazon and Google. On the other hand, sometimes it's a remedy problem. So, do we need to just impose fines like we've been doing? Seeing, uh, actually, Facebook just faced a $5 billion fine by the FTC. Or perhaps we go more behavioral and ask them to change their policies. Or what you are referencing, and that is the structural remedy, is actually gaining a lot of traction in the United States. Although it is seen as a drastic, uh, essential hammer to these companies, 
it may be appropriate to divide them up and to actually split up the company in a way to make each part of the company competitive without allowing that conglomerate power to be maintained. And so take, for example, you have Amazon, right? And they have their Amazon Marketplace. They have their Amazon Web Services. They have Twitch. And they have all of their independent product lines on the Amazon Marketplace, you might see Congress and the antitrust division or the FTC asking Amazon to divest itself from certain businesses. So when you start seeing scrutiny of Amazon, you start being concerned that perhaps they'll have to divest Twitch or they'll have to divest Amazon Web Services. Both of these services are critical infrastructure for esports because they allow content to reach the end consumer. And in a divestiture, you might be reducing efficiencies achieved by putting those companies together. So Amazon Web Services and Twitch, for instance, or even just the marketplace and Twitch. You're going to see some changes to the company. It's unclear what those changes may be, but it might disrupt a bit of the esports economy. I mean, if, for example, Amazon and Twitch are separated and broken up into separate entities, I mean, there, there, it seems that, you know, it, Twitch's underlying kind of mechanisms rely on AWS. Is it even practical to really say that, oh, now these are two separate companies when in reality they rely on each other so much? I think that's a great question to be asking. And whether or not splitting off a company actually is appropriate, whether or not we want to deprive Amazon of its inherent efficiencies of having AWS and Twitch together. On the one hand, splitting it up will allow competitors to Twitch, like YouTube, or now Facebook Gaming, actually compete without having to create a similar service like AWS, because that would be a barrier of entry, uh, because the efficiencies aren't achievable without that partnership. On the other hand, like I said, there are efficiencies, and it seems to be that they are passed on to the consumer. We're seeing lower and lower prices, and like Twitch, we're seeing no prices at all except for ads. And that is uh, inherently good for the consumer. Uh, it gets very, very tricky about when and how to split up a business because in the end, the antitrust law seeks to promote competition. And if a business is split off in such a way that it no longer becomes effective or profitable or they have to raise prices, then the antitrust law has failed because the consumers will be paying more for worse product. In the case for Twitch and Amazon, at the moment, Twitch is essentially so small in the Amazon ecosystem that it's not even showing up in its quarterly reports yet. Are all these like small esports arms, whether it be Facebook gaming or uh, Twitch, are they just essentially like too small to be broken up? Or maybe that argument could be said in regards to Facebook and Instagram, where maybe Instagram was like a small and scrappy competitor that Facebook bought early and then blew it up into this massive thing. The question really is about the future of the company, because while Twitch might be a small proportion of the revenue generated by Amazon, it is by no means a small company in and of itself. Can it be successful as a standalone company? I think that, yes, absolutely. I think it would still be a competitor to YouTube and to Facebook gaming. But you're right. It might not make sense to split it off because it is just too small. And in fact, during these congressional hearings, we didn't see a lot of attention to Twitch. Amazon's marketplace seemed to be much more of a pressing issue. Similarly, in the questions about Alphabet and Google, YouTube was featured only a couple of times 
primarily because Congress was concerned about Google's use of user data and sharing that with YouTube or between its branches, between its ad branch uh, that allows personalized ads through the Google search services and YouTube's collection of that data, including from streamers, from content producers, and from children was a big concern. And it makes more sense when you see a bigger branch of a company like YouTube be separated off from a company like Alphabet that has so many products under its services that it makes sense to hack off YouTube and with it, it's esports arm, essentially. When will be the next time we'll start hearing more and more about um, the fate of these companies in regards to this congressional investigation? So the investigation, this hearing, was essentially a culmination of a year's worth of work. This is the sixth hearing in the series. And after reviewing over 1.3 million documents and having several other discussions with these companies, we're likely to see the recommendation by the antitrust subcommittee in a couple of weeks. As I mentioned before, it's very difficult to determine how they will respond to these big tech companies because we heard so many different voices, whether saying that antitrust law is good as is when it comes to more enforcement, or if we need a real revamp of antitrust law to make sure that consumers, viewers of esports, for instance, are protected from these big tech giants. Mm. Well then, in a few weeks, we'd, uh, we'd love to have you back on the show. That sounds wonderful, Ahmad. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan. If you like the show, please rate, subscribe, and share. Your support will help the show grow. Check out ftwahmad.com for transcripts and links to our Patreon. If you'd like to follow Tom and his writing, you can find him at Metiest. That's M-A-T-T-H-I-E-I-S-T. If you'd like to follow Michael, he can be found at AaronMJ on Twitter. That's A-R-I-N-M-J. To follow me and my writing over at the New York Times, the Washington Post, and elsewhere, you can find me on Twitter at Imad. Annie Pay is our producer. Questions about the show can be directed to her at Pay underscore Annie on Twitter. Joe Domek is our outreach manager, and Ron Lyons is our researcher. With that, we'll catch you guys next week.